Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hi and welcome to this uh, latest vlog and podcast. Um, you'll be able to look at this on YouTube and on uh, audio via usual channels, and there will be a transcript if you find any of this useful or interesting. So you'll be recognised that we spend a lot of time talking about personal resilience, but we also work in the area of business resilience. And you can get hold of us using all these usual methods uh, on LinkedIn, by phone if you want to come direct to me, uh, qedod.com and russell at qedod.com if you want to find out more about our coaching or uh, our open hours if you want to have a chat online via Zoom. So let's get to it. So uh, we have a definition of resilience, which is based around personal resilience, but I think it applies equally well to um, business resilience and its ability to bounce back. Now, What's interesting about this area is that um, originally you used to always talk about bouncing back, but Nassim Talab has talked about this idea of anti-fragile. And um, on our podcast, we've talked to other guests who've actually sort of coined this phrase, bounce forward. And I think that's right. I think in our current climate, in terms of business, it's not about going backwards to where what we had before. It is about thinking about how we thrive in the new world that's coming forward. I mean, the original process of a SWOT analysis, simple as it is, is this idea of there are opportunities and threats and how will you respond? How will a business event, how will life events turn into opportunities and threats for you? And then what you do about it. And I think, um, you know, bouncing back assumes that there's been some failure. Um, some of, some organizations have had catastrophic failure. They've had failure because actually they traded in a very benign atmosphere for the last however many years. They've just not been ready to actually face the, um, the circumstances which have presented themselves recently. And, and some, some have been ready, of course. And, um, and of course they've thrived. And some have been actually in a fortunate situation. Uh, a colleague of mine has started off a business around business networking and it went live on December, in December. And of course, suddenly that's one of the big needs. And he was just in the right time, the right place. And the pandemic, uh, that we're experiencing is well forecast. And, um, you know, one of the things we have to do when we think about building capacity is to think that we could have seen this, we could be ready. But of course, we've traded in such a benign atmosphere for such a long time, being so short termist and maximizing today's revenues uh, and, and leveraging debt, really, um, a sudden and unexpected change can actually catch us really, really cold. So the first stage has been able to bounce back. And that means some learning must take place. 
And the next bit of resilience is dealing with the pressure and stress adversity in the moment. And, you know, a lot of us are dealing with things at the moment. Some people are, you know, running to the hills. Some people are just coping. Uh, some people are innovating and then some people are pivoting and, you know, really sort of saying, well, actually, I see this as an opportunity and, and the importance of mindset here is critical. I see this as an opportunity and I'm figuring out how to make the most of that. And so being able to manage for today, but also have a, you know, a good eye on tomorrow, I think is an important part of, um, resilience because actually if you don't have a sense of purpose or a sense of, um, what's it going to be like at the other end of this, then actually what's the point of surviving in the first place? And for some people who are just literally um, so panic-stricken, fear-driven, some organisations are in such a mess that, you know, they're not going to make it. And some people are going to have to close down because they cannot afford to survive for the period. And then, of course, they can then start up again or re-engineer or reimagine in that sort of way. Um, there is no, There is no real problem with failure in the sense that as long as you are ethical in that failure and you pay your debts and do what needs to be done if you have to come back and rethink the whole thing then there's no there's no there's no shade in that really the next bit is recognizing the gear change knowing when your resilience has been compromised both as a business and an individual this is actually seeing the warning signs seeing the triggers everyone in business knew there was a recession coming well, it's coming now, and those those organisations who were able to diversify to actually think about, um, you know, how to deal in a recession, how to have the sort of skills and agile processes in a recession are going to do well because it's entirely likely we're going to have a recession or even a depression over the next year or so. Um, Organised, you know, the governments will actually involve themselves in extraordinary feats of social engineering to avoid this. But you know, things ain't gonna be what they were, and I think it's 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 a time to get ready for that. And then, obviously, build the capacity. And this is the bit we're all worst at. And you know, I'm no different to anybody else here. But you know, as an individual, you can have a lot of cash in the bank. As um as an organisation, you've sort of taken decisions not to spend any cash, so you're ripping cost out of the building, but out of out of your operation. But in doing so, you're restricting your ability to come back afterwards. Um. When times are good, we very rarely, you know, invest in assets or invest in things which can help us through the poor times, you know, what's it called, fixing the, sh the roof when we need to. And a lot of organisations are telling me now that things that used to take six months to make a decision on, suddenly we're doing that in six days because, because actually you have to. And it starts to make you think about um, if we build the capacity in this period of time, then we'll have it in the future. And I think that's really important. And we do it the usual ways. You know, resilience is about having a strong sense of purpose, caring for your stakeholders and customers, but also making sure the internal things are right as well, finances, people and processes. And, you know, I'm going to break that down a little bit more. But first, let's think about the landscape. And, and one of the key things to get thinking about here is that um, this is just a view. And of course, other views are available. And the point is to be ready for a, a variety of views. It could well be that the feature rolling forward is going to be catastrophic. It could be benign. It could be meh. You know, it could be actually quite good. The thing is to be ready for all of them. And the bigger you are, the easier that, 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 that this is, except for your ability to execute a change. So the issues that you have are different, of course. But, um, you know, we're going to have to think about this idea that we're going to have pandemics. And this is not a surprise. The World Health Organization have flagged this up a number of times and have said that the threat from pandemics and environmental catastrophe has always been greater than terrorism. But terrorism catches the eye because of the way the media work. And we've got to have a think about that. And pandemics versus open borders is going to be something that's really, that's really, um, 
you know, um, something that we have to think about, our ability to open closed borders, you know, to pr protect ourselves, to be uh, selfish versus, you know, open is, is a big challenge for us. You know, we've got to think maybe about a more environmental approach, a more holistic way of thinking about business and social enterprise versus just the straightforward capitalism debt ratios. Um, you know, we're seeing even in, in the UK at the moment and in the US, you know, huge amounts of government funding going into propping up um, the sort of social social cracks that we have going on in our world. You know, why, why aren't those things sorted out? I mean, you know, there's a... The, it's it's an amazing to me that we've spent so much time and money, you know, the last 10, 15 years in a benign culture, not fixing things which were really broken, not taking the tough decisions, you know, focusing always on the short term. Yeah, if you look at some organizations, some companies, some countries, it's interesting there that actually that longer term planning approach seems to have given them more um, capacity, more robustness in their approaches. And I think this idea of freedom versus regulation is interesting. You know, what's interesting in an organization or a country like China, it's, it's you know, the, the top-down approach really works. That sort of benevolent despotism, you know, has its place in the world. You've got to be able to, we've got to be able to swing, whereas our very individualistic capitalist worlds are the ones that you're suffering with most, perhaps. Um, maybe they'll bounce back better, who knows? Maybe, maybe the ability to sort of... Um, harness these sort of huge shocks into the economy is part of something we have to think about rolling forward. Maybe we have to be a little bit less internationalist because actually, you know, having everything owned by everybody else is, is a difficulty when you come to needing resources in your own country and everyone shut the borders and you can't get them. So you have shortages. It's a real opportunity for organizations, for countries, for, you know, to be able to think, what is it that we currently manufacture ex you know, externally through a massive long vulnerable supply chain and um you know how can we actually build a, a more blended approach to those things technology has really come to the fore at the moment people are suddenly seeing technology in all the homes we're suddenly seeing the benefits and the risks of it and we're going to notice actually that human beings want to come together for the things that human beings want to be together for and now what we're seeing is you know some interesting approaches and thoughts around well actually you know the the sort of business advantage is to have got smart technology in your organization. AR, AI and VR are upon us, and yet some people are still struggling with early versions of Windows. You know, they're really w way behind because an organization, I mean, where is it spending its money? Because it's certainly spending its money on something, but what's it spending it on? And I think some, somehow this, you know, this new idea around technology is going to be, is going to actually um, give organizations a real advantage. And I think, um, you know, economic futures and models are going to be um, upon us. I think there's going to be a big debate about the way that we're thinking about how we, re you know, we'll, we'll bounce forward. I think we'll see the old um, structures and ideas coming to life, you know, um, f uh, growth funded by consumer and corporate debt. But this isn't sustainable over the long term. We're seeing that now. And perhaps the time's coming for companies and business leaders and influencers and um, movers and shakers to really get together and have a sort of ego-free conversation about, well, actually, what's right? And one of the big things for all of us is this sort of population explosion or population growth. We're, we're going to see this more often. It's coming. And actually, we have to think very carefully about how we how we are engaging across the wider planet about this thing. This is a funny opportunity for us all to have come together to have defeat 
um, a pandemic. You know, that's resilience, isn't it? Coming together, together, being able to flow people, flow ideas. And we see this in the scientific community where ideas are shared openly for the greater good. And then obviously you see the sort of slightly um, narrow um, in, or like an old imperialistic approach where people are, you know, categorizing things as being something. And, and you know, that's not useful. And I think as we get a more and more dense population around this, we're going to have to, again, as I say, think very carefully about the way we're, we're looking after, the way we socially connect, the way we deal with the elderly, the way we think about the value we place on human life. It's fascinating, isn't it, how we'll we'll spend so much money saving a, saving a human life because through, through a, a pandemic or a terrorist assault, but the same number of people will be dying on the from road traffic accidents or alcohol poisoning uh, or lifestyle and yet we don't think about those sorts of things because there's a there's a sort of um there's a financial imperative for killing ourselves through in one method uh, and yet saving ourselves through another some somehow we've got to open that debate and there are a ton of lessons learned for organizations in terms of resilience you know this idea that you know if you've got everybody sitting at home the way we manage people is, and lead people has got to be distributed now you know if some if you know sally and fred are sitting at home one's in nottingham one's in aberdeen you know the way we lead and manage those people has to be different we've got to know our people better and the sort of concepts of tough love we talk about a lot come to life and if you think about it now, we've got to really think about, well, actually, the, the technology's there. Why do we spend so much time thinking about property? It's fascinating, actually, as a business owner myself, you know, the only person, the only organisation that I'm finding have, I'm ha who, who still seem to be getting all my money are the property people. And uh, they don't seem to be suffering so much. I'm sure they are. Uh, and we all have a vested interest in maintaining property costs. But it's interesting, isn't it, how we have property, how we use property, and how we think about property rolling forward because actually we don't need to maybe we need maybe need a more sort of uh, um, agile way of thinking about property we need a more agile investment strategy when it comes to thinking about property and, and how we use it and what's it for because there are certain places that need a physical location and there are tons that don't and we've also seen somewhat slightly controversially um, that there's a hell of a lot we do at work in offices, which is just irrelevant because we don't do it anymore. I was chatting to someone in a coaching call and they said to me, actually, do you know what? I've done my normal amount of work and I'm finished at 10.30 in the morning. And I said, well, what do you normally do? He said, it's just amazing how much time you save not sitting in endless meetings. Although I've noticed some organizations spilling their meeting culture into the this this new area, into this new world, and people just sitting for hours in front of Zoom calls. And I think the, the opportunity comes from saying, who needs to be on a meeting, when and what, why? Because actually there's, a, there's maybe a lot of the stuff we do at work is irrelevant. And if you think about how many people are burning out and have been burned out through irrelevant meetings, processes, systems. I mean, there's an organization I work for that has to basically have an extra 50% of people because the IT system is so poor. Now you think that through for a minute. Now that's a lovely social engineering thing, but actually in terms of a stakeholder return, that's an issue. And all those people could be doing something more productive, more focused on their own careers than just actually dealing with the the mind-boggling, mind-boring, you know, um, mess that's just um, um, inefficient bureaucracy. If you think about the process and systems which are getting in the way of distribution and supply lines, for example, um, it's no surprise to know that if you if you generate a lot of work at the top of a funnel and you're you know still doing things manually in triplicate with you know three three quotes and such like. 
you know, that doesn't work somehow in a new world. We've got to think of new ways of regulating and thinking about the management of risk. And it's fascinating when we furloughed people. And I know a lot of it's for social engineering. That's a really great thing. But it's fascinating how many people have discovered their roles aren't vital. And for some people, that's a shock. Um, you know, the strategic HR director getting furloughed. Sometimes the FD is getting furloughed. But the people that are running the accounts and actually hiring and firing people or furloughing people, they know the people who are actually doing that really important execution stuff is they're important. And the problem is that we've not really got a grip of what strategic directorships or directors are for. And therefore, it's possible to get, you know, to, to furlough them. Now, I know a lot of people are furloughed because actually it's the right thing to do financially. But it is an opportunity to think about those people we've got furloughed who are coming back in and quite right, quite right too. This is furlough is not just a cheap person's redundancy program. When they come back, it's a real opportunity to think about what they could do differently. You know, that engaging conversation about how we're going to de, how we're going to bounce forward into this new world with those new people is really important. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm seeing in organizations is, you know, this high degree of specialism is really great because that really sort of allows you to sweat the asset in the short term. But in the long term, you've got to think about diversification and multipurposing your organization. Fascinating to see McLaren going from the per, you know, process of uh, building racing cars to building ventilators and masks. Well, why not? Building is building. Just, you know, manufacturing is manufacturing. If you have the capacity to turn your hand to different things, of course, some people are, some organizations are so specialized, relying on one machine, they can't do that. And how many organizations are just going down the tubes because they're badly managed and completely exposed to debt? There's going to be a massive shakeout in the high street because many retail companies were just overtrading. They're franchising, they're burning money, burning cash, selling insufficient amounts, not adapting, not reacting quickly enough, not getting on the front foot, poor IT systems, disengaged people. Yeah. You know, I was looking at, uh, I love cruising, and um, I was looking at the um, exposure to debt of Carnival Corporation, only the $13 billion just the 13 billion and uh, you know shareholders are saying whoa can't wait to start buying those shares because when that bounces back and that's going to be a stock worth, worth having let's drive it down short sell blah 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 that's assuming it can get through this and that'll be interesting in itself so you know the whole debt debt credit um idea really needs to be rethought i think we also need to understand the malign influence of media, the media driving the short term, the media filling up the news hours. 24 hours news channels have actually created a situation where people have got to find something to talk about. And so it's easier to talk about something bad, to catastrophize, to deal, to fit, you know, focus on our negative bias, to scare people, to um, drive ministers to actually never take risks, to have um, politicians who who can't who can't say you can't say you can't say you've got something wrong because you're sort of pilloried and you know crucified, and um, it's the same on social media. And I think it's time to get back to having politicians who are really skilled at doing something other than just being a politician. It's time to actually get back to people who will make mistakes and you know let's learn from them and move forward. You know we just managed a massive you know. Um, crisis or we're managing a massive crisis this is not the time to be deciding that someone didn't look right or had a funny face and all that sort of stuff what matters is you know that we're that we're moving forward and that actually we can separate the difference between news which is important 
um, asking penetrating questions to holding people to account, which is important, which of course very few organisations do, and then just the endless pontificating, prattling, catastrophizing, and on all the other stuff that the media seem to do. So let's is a is a conversation to be had, and you might not like social media, but it's um it's it's that idea of democratizing opinion and you know is it better to have the opinion of 73 million people who you know who are gatekeepers to content rather than half a dozen people who run the big news organizations who are deciding what we should see and what and what we should think i think that's something to be thought about and we also notice this thing called ppe you know hasn't it been interesting that the the key thing for us to focus on over the over the over the over this crisis so far is the things that keep us safe you know we're all, all great on the things that make us money but not so good on the sort of risk management thing and how we can actually suddenly switch around and um, focus on things that keep us safe is really important the real things that keep us safe and actually how do we how do we distribute and get that to the front line um glaring errors appear when physical manifestation of stuff doesn't appear this the people who say that the entire world is going to be online are so wrong what we've discovered through things like ppe it's the people that are literally hands-on the people have to turn up the people have to actually physically fix things are really important um you know who knew who knew that hairdressers would be one of the biggest people that people are missing at the moment um but actually you know we can get away without them but you can't get away without having a mask and actually focusing the key resources on the people that really need it is is the is the thing and yet the you know media going on and on about everyone wearing masks but actually we haven't got enough in the right place because so many people are buying the things that should be got you know to those people and innovation will get you so far and and it's a long way that than that you would apologies there's a word missing behind that slide but um we need more innovation. We need much more innovation. We need to be thinking more innovatively, creatively. We need to be celebrating this idea that, um, you know, we need to be getting better. And it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder if that finance cost control, um, uh, let's not spend any money. How does that attitude will go away from business? Maybe it's time for the marketeers, the creatives, the innovators to come back into organizations and start showing what we can do rather than what we can't. Um, short-term scenarios are you can think that if we come out of lockdown that we're going to need a speed of reaction you know how we think about that in terms of resilience people are going to want to congregate you know they want to go to um, they want to go on a date they want to have their cut as I said they want to go to sports they want to go to theatres they want them to go to concerts concerts they want to have relationships they want to go and meet people and you know do all the things that we did which are a natural part of the human existence concert cinema I mean people have really missed going and watching the movies and we're also missing that the the revenue that comes from the, the artistic enterprise in this country and the sporting enterprises and how uplifting that can be. And I think, you know, what will happen is we'll have to think about that. We can see a situation where we'll be having PPE fashion shows and we'll be having people sponsoring face masks because as we want to get back to a more uh, norm, normalistic form of life, we'll want to be able to protect ourselves. So can you imagine everyone going to concerts and actually being branded or, people, you know, as I say, we've got, we've got Burberry, Burberry versus Zara, yeah. um, you know, PPE and gowns and masks and such like. And there's no doubt we're going to have a ton of mental health, both from 
people who aren't used to managing their own resilience. But think of those frontline workers who are going to be having some form of PTSD rolling forward. Now, some of you may be sort of scoffing at that, but it's it's a thing. And the effect on our economy, uh, never mind the individuals, is something that we need to factor in to the, to the um, bounce, bounce forward for our economy. Uh, let's not trivialize that. And all of these things could be wrong, but actually, you know, we should be ready for any of these things. You have staff coming back who are, who are going to have issues because they've been stuck at home for three months. Maybe they've been furloughed and they're, you know, they're, they've actually lost their partner because actually, you know, there's a divorce or something happened in that family because we social psych scientists are saying there's going to be a big boom in divorces and births over the next nine months. You know, let's, let's think that one through. Let's also recognise there could be frequent lockdowns over the next 12 months. Um, and should we be ready for those? How are we going to make sense of those rolling forward? And who else knows what's coming? And that's part of our innovation, isn't it? Part of how else we're thinking about it. I just had, you know, five minutes to think about this. And you start thinking there are a ton of opportunities. There are a ton of exciting um, um possibilities out there. People who have stock, who have closed factories down and have furloughed work workers, what's going to happen is a demand for the existing stock is going to suddenly, um, you know, outstrip supply. And then we're going to have a gap, aren't we, when manufacturing comes back on stream. And, and again, the winners in all of this are the distribution firms. Distribution has become really one of the places that we need to figure out the supply chain. So organisations need to have a strong sense of purpose to build their resilience. They need to have a strategy. They need to have something that's actually about uniqueness. And isn't it interesting, you know, how we've discovered places like, um, you know, public pressure for ethical decisions that have been made, have been sort of shown up and held up to account. You know, people like the, the big football clubs furloughing their, their teams, um, the non-essential workers, you know, whilst, you know, players, other players, people are, you know, pay still getting 70 80 grand a week and yet that would pay three or four people's salary in some places the the disparities are really problematical here so ethics is something we need to you know work out rolling forward you know uh the sports direct experiences that and I, de I think resilience wise we need to be simple we need to be much more simple and agile you look at most organizations they're hideously compli complicated and they're complex as well as being complicated. So they they have worked complexity in each of their the ways they work, and then each of those complex areas are complicated to to handle. And and I think there's going to be a great move in terms of simplifying and making organisations agile rolling forward. We can't afford to be this chaotic rolling forward. We need a better outward focus and dare I say long term. And that's what strategy is about. And the point about having a long term strategy is about giving you that uniqueness, that ability to stand out, stand for what you're about having a culture that allows you to do those things so your people can buy in and roll forward. And really, I've always advocated that organisations should just be split into three, three phases, yesterday, today and tomorrow. There should be a director of each and we should be learning from yesterday. We should be making sense of today and making sure we don't do something that doesn't allow us to do what we need to do tomorrow. And if you look at most organisations, the only focus or the huge focus is about today. And that's where we have problems. And structural organisations, as I said, we need to be agile. We need to think about the law, the employment laws and such like. We need to think about how we're going to make more sense of in structure this idea of um, IT, AI, VR. You know, why, why do we need to be sending people on training courses anymore when we can put them into a headset and they will be there? 
you know, why we, why we, why we training, why we thinking, why we developing people in the way we work, why we working in the way we're working when we could be working in a totally different way. Why are we running huge expensive retail shops when people could wear a virtual reality headset and be there? Why are we traveling all over the world when we could be there with virtual reality? And I think in structural terms, we need to think of much flatter meritocratic structures. That's really important. Bringing in international talent when we need it, but you know, recognizing that we don't actually have to physically have them there anymore. And recognizing that innovation should be part of our areas, part of what we do. We should be actually um, quantifying using ROI to look at innovation rather than just looking at the cost side of it. Thinking about home markets as well as international is really key. Uh, I think that would be a big drive for the future. And I think resilience is be recognizing both those sorts of things. Having too much international exposure is a risk, I think. And I think, as I said earlier, marketing and economics is coming back. And thank goodness for that. And again, thinking about people, you know, those roles you furloughed. I mean, how many program managers does an organization need, for goodness sake? You know, it's, 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 it's odd, isn't it? We've got away from this simple idea that we need to know what we want, know where we're going, and then we need to execute really well. Again, we've created so much complexity. We need to manage expectations. We need to move back to productivity as a measure rather than sort of satisfaction or engagement, because actually people are satisfied when they're working in a way that is a, they're working on the right things and doing the right amount of it at the right quality standards. And I think we need to figure that thing out. And we need to really work out the effect of furlough. And we need to go beyond the idea of talent and competencies. These are old ideas. We've, we've learned nothing. Let's learn that we need to think about people, what their contribution is and what that means. And we need to think about the way we think, you know, about skilling, you know, much more um, digital uh, in the future. I mean, people on furlough, they can still be um, developed. So rather than thinking, how do I develop to use the next IT system? Let's, let's focus on getting that innovation and mindset change into people. And again, I've talked about this a few times now. Process should be geared around simplicity, agility, our ability to pivot or pivotability. You know, people have fallen out of love with activity-based costing and lean, but those things still work. But we need modern iterations of those things now. Let's let's move that argument, move those dials forward. And maybe we should be thinking about different process measures, you know, effectiveness rather than, than just, yeah, um, you know, simple measures which mean nothing when we constantly measure the things that we can measure rather than thinking about how do we measure things that matter you know we still haven't figured out well actually some people still haven't figured out a way of measuring morale and happiness and so they just measure that using absence well but that's the wrong measure for the wrong thing and finance has to rethink what they're doing obviously resilience wise cash and the idea of a kpi the word key is matters here you know what are the key performance indicators in our organization. We do tend to over measure and then end up not doing anything with the measurements. Perhaps it's time to start measuring less and doing more and moving away from just a mad rush to cost reduce versus thinking about what does that investment really return us? And you don't see that. I mean, people talk about it, but they don't see it. So we can help in a number of ways. I think there's loads of people out there who will purport to help. But um, I wanted to put this out there as the beginning of the conversation, but really we can help you audit your current resilience and the resilience resources. We've worked in this field for many years now. And whether it be helping individuals through building their immune system, managing their mental health and such like, through to your business processes, your business culture, putting the right measurements in place and through even to this idea of tough love leadership where we really focus on that sort of holistic 
you know, building of really robust professional conversations where people need to say what they need to say without worrying up people's feelings being hurt all the time, but also caring enough about people to build empathy and that that idea of um, really maximizing people's potential in the organization. I think that's really important. So hopefully today has been useful for you and um, thank you all for your time and attention. Um, you can get hold of us as I said earlier by through LinkedIn online at qedod.com and you contact me at russell at qedod.com until the next time thank you very much hi everybody i hope you found that episode useful and interesting feedback is always welcomed and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on itunes or stitcher that would be amazing if you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.